Good morning. Uh, the second Bible reading today is from Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 30. You can follow along at the, on the screen or on your Bible or in the, uh, some of the uh, few Bibles on page 1075. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that come from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Sarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is God's word. Thank you, Christine, and thank you, Nathan, for leading us in prayer. What a wonderful kids' talk that was. It seems like we don't need a sermon now after that one. It was so good. Uh, but we will look at this passage. Do keep your Bibles open. On the inside of the newsletter, you'll see an outline there as well. That may be useful to you as you follow along and for you to take notes. But let's uh, join in prayer once again. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, which changes us, which convicts us. And as we consider it today, and the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, do make us more like him, even in a little way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may have heard of the saying, in the eye of the beholder. You've heard of that? Beauty in the eye of the beholder which means beauty itself, it's subjective. Something or someone may look beautiful to one person, but to another person, completely and utterly ugly. Subjective. Or consider the carpets here. Who here reckons it's beautiful? Some. <laughs> Who here reckons it's ugly? No hands went up. I suspect you're just keeping it inside. 
but beauty in the eyes of the beholder. Or you may have heard also truth also is in the eye of the beholder. What's true for you, it's true for you. What's true for me is true for me. It's a matter of opinion and preferences. It's in the eye of the beholder. But you see, when we come to a passage like this, and as we consider those people back then who were listening to Jesus, when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to the work and person of Jesus Christ, when the eye of the beholder gets that wrong, it's the difference between being forgiven or not. It's the difference between having life or not. It's the difference between going to heaven or hell. You see, in a passage like this, when Jesus declares who he is and why he came, if the eye of the beholder gets that wrong, it means missing out on the favour and blessing of God. And so this is an important passage for us, that we see Jesus rightly, that our children see Jesus rightly because it has eternal significance. And so let's have a look. We've been working through the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus has begun his ministry. Just as Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to face the devil. Remember that story last week? Now he's empowered by the Spirit and he comes home to Nazareth. And between the temptation and his return home was perhaps almost about a year where he went around the region of Galilee, healing the sick, casting out demons and proclaiming the kingdom of God. But now he's coming home. It's a bit like the homecoming of the country kid. And so what did Jesus do? Verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Now, I want us to reflect on that verse for, for a little moment. He went to the synagogue. Now, don't you find that surprising? This was the Son of God, with all power and authority. He sh shouldn't he be on the streets, healing the sick, casting out demons, teaching about the kingdom of God? Didn't he have something better to do? than to go to church, than to go to the synagogue. I mean, he's the son of God after all. But what we read here was that he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath as was his custom. And so you can just imagine Jesus when he was young. This is what we do as a family. Joseph speaking, we go to the synagogue, we go to church. And perhaps just as an aside, that is us worth us reflecting on. It was his custom. And if it was a good enough custom for Jesus, it might be something we need to reflect on. Is it a good enough custom for us to be committed to coming and meeting with the people of God each week? And so perhaps that's a little word for us who are parents. What custom do we have in our household? But anyway, what happened at the synagogue? Well, they would have known that one of their own has come home. The homecoming of one of their own. The guest preacher this week on the Sabbath was one who grew up in Nazareth. And so verse 17 we read, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Now, of course, the scroll of Isaiah would have been big. He rolled it out and no accident. He landed in Isaiah 61 and we read verses 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners 
and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, I just want you to imagine you were there in the first century and you were there that day, that Sabbath, listening to Jesus read from Isaiah 61. What would you have been thinking? Well, perhaps we might be thinking, well, that passage was exactly what I needed to hear. We are under foreign rule. The Romans, they are oppressing us. We are taxed. We've lost our freedom. And we do not have a king of David on the throne of David. Life is miserable. But thank you for that reading, because that reading gives me hope. It's a bit like if today we come to church each weekend and you hear your favourite passage read as the Bible reading. And you go, yes, I needed to hear that. I mean, a bit like if we were to hear Revelation 21, especially given our climate around the world with war. Revelation 21, now the dwelling of God is with men. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You hear that and you go, yes, I needed to hear that. That is what I long for and that is what I hope for. And so for them, Isaiah was the gospel of the Old Testament. And so if you're there in the synagogue hearing Jesus read that, it would have been a passage that would have stirred up so much hope in a hopeless place during a hopeless time. And you're there thinking, I can't wait for that prophecy of Isaiah to come true. I can't wait for the coming of the anointed one, the Messiah. We've had so much bad news, I can't wait for him to tell us what the good news is, to preach to the poor, to release the oppressed, for the blind to see. It'll be like the year of Jubilee. During the Old Testament, every 50 years, what would happen was between the Jews, all the debts were cancelled. All the land that was taken was returned. All the slaves, they would have been released. Families reunited. Peace and harmony. God's favour upon us once again. And you're there listening, I cannot wait for that day to come. When will it come? And so at this point, it was just a reading. And you're wondering, well, how will Jesus explain this passage? And that's why all the eyes were fixed on him. Verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. You see, what happened was when the scriptures were read, you stand for the reading of scripture. But when you teach, when rabbis taught, they would sit down. And that's why today, even in some churches, the congregation in fact stands for the Bible reading, but sits when the message is taught. But what did Jesus say about this passage? We see only one verse. He perhaps said more, but we see only one verse, verse 21. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You probably could have heard a pin drop when Jesus said those words. It was like one of those mic drop moment. Do you hear what Jesus said? muttering in the crowd? Do you hear what he just claimed and professed? I mean, this guy's crazy. Who does he think he is? But of course, Jesus wasn't pulling their legs. The centuries of waiting is now over. 
I have come. The one you've been waiting for. The one who will open the floodgates of God's blessings from heaven. It is fulfilled in me today, in your hearing. In fact, I was wondering, what if Jesus was given another scroll and not Isaiah? Would Jesus have said the same thing? Well, of course, God sovereignly ordained it such a way. But if Jesus was handed another scroll, in fact, he would have said the same thing. It was fulfilled in him because, you see, all the Old Testament promises find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so just say Jesus was handed the scroll of Genesis, and Jesus read from Genesis 3. Well, he said, that is also fulfilled in your hearing because I'm the long-awaited seed of Eve, who is the serpent crusher. It is fulfilled today. Or if Jesus was to read from Psalm 23, I am the good shepherd of Psalm 23. Or if Jesus was to read from 2 Samuel 7, I am the king who will sit on David's throne and establish it forever. Or if Jesus was to read from Daniel 7, it is fulfilled in your hearing because I am the son of man who is given power and authority and dominion over everything by the ancient of days. You see, it's why towards the end of the Gospel of Luke, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus could say these words, Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. It is all about me. But of course, that day, the focus of Jesus was on Isaiah. This is who I am. I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. And this is why I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. You see, when you hear that, it's not open to opinions. In the eye of the beholder, there should only be one way to understand that. And today, there's only one way to understand that. You see, Jesus came not for the healthy, but for the sick, we hear later in the Gospel, to preach good news to the poor. Now, what does that mean? Well, not necessarily the physically or materially poor, but those who are poor in spirit. Those who recognise, I am poor in spirit. I'm spiritually bankrupt. There is no way of me getting to God. And so who were the spiritually poor? Zacchaeus, who climbed the tree to look out for Jesus. The woman who washed the feet of Jesus, spiritually poor. The leper who cried out, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean spiritually poor the tax collector who went to the temple and beat his breast and said i am a sinner have mercy on me spiritually poor and the good news comes to such as these now wasn't that what we heard also in natasha's testimony i'm a sinner and jesus is my savior and Jesus has come to set free the captives and the oppressed do you see that promise jesus was saying to them all that you were longing for, today it is fulfilled in your hearing. And so those who were captive, held captive and oppressed, well, we don't have to go too far to see who they are, even today. And of course, I'm not just talking about those who are in bondage or enslaved or addicted to drugs and alcohol and pornography. I mean, they are entrapped, of course. But also what seems a lot more respectable in our Western world, the pursuit of wealth and money and comfort. Now, not that we shouldn't work hard, but you see, if that is my life's goal, that enslaves me. 
I am held bondage to it because I think about it, I dream about it, I spend all my time and effort upon it, and it will enslave me. But you see, Jesus has come to set us free from our sins, to be free from what holds us captive, to be free so that we're no longer in bondage. And ultimately, he's come to set us free from the hold and the bondage of death itself. You see, for the believer, death does not get its last word. It does not have the last word. And so that is the favour of God. That's what Jesus came to do. And on that day, what a profound day that was. Today, in your hearing, the scripture is fulfilled. And so how did they respond? Well, was it good news in the eye of the beholder? You can probably imagine them just muttering to one another, this guy's just a local kid. Don't you remember him when he was a teenager? We saw him each week at kids' church in the synagogue. He worked with his father at the carpentry shop. We know what he's like. He's gone around a bit, but who does he think he's now? And so verse 23, have a look. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. They were amazed. He's changed. But someone said, isn't this Joseph's son? And so was Jesus Joseph's son? You see, that, that is a question that should prick our ears if we've been following on so far in Luke. And the answer is, not at all. He is the son of God. Remember what happened at his baptism? God declared from heaven, you are my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Remember the genealogy, it went all the way back to son of God. Remember also the temptation last week. Even the devil confessed, if you are the son of God. And so though it seems he's Joseph's son, the answer is he's the son of God. But Jesus was not unaware of what they were thinking. And so verse 23, Jesus said to them, Surely you'll quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Now what did Jesus mean by that? Well, Jesus knew that they were not convinced by what they heard. And so they were thinking, if you could heal in Capernaum, do all those miracles there, do that here too in your hometown. Show yourself. Prove yourself. Now, even as you reflect on those words, it should sound very similar to what we heard last week. You know, the devil's temptation. But what point was Jesus making? Verse 24. I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, we know what it's like, isn't it? Familiarity breeds contempt. Or someone from my growth group said, known too well to take notice of. You see, we find it easier to honour those we didn't grow up with, those we do not know. I mean, here's a little test, a little gaze, just a for you to reflect inside, you don't have to share. Today we will have a church camp committee meeting in the afternoon and we'll talk about speakers for this year. And you know who the speaker will be for this year's church camp in September. It is your ordinary weekly church pastor. I'm sure all your hearts just sank. Boo. Mine too. No prophet has honour in his hometown. But in fact, you'll be pleased to know it won't be me. It'll be someone outside 
someone who used to be a Bible college principal. So we'll have them. But it's a test, isn't it? No prophet is honoured in his hometown, Jesus said. And Jesus here gives two examples. That was what they were like. Even Israel, back in the Old Testament. And he gives two examples of Elijah and Elisha to show how the people of God treated their own prophets. You see, during Elijah's time, there was a famine through the land. But Elijah was sent to not a widow in Israel, but a widow in the region of Sidon. Though the famine was everywhere, it was a Gentile widow who received the favour of God. And also with the story of Elisha, there were lepers all over Israel. But who was it that was healed? It was Naaman, the Syrian. He's a Gentile. In fact, he expressed and showed faith more than the people of God did in Israel. Eventually, he took God at his word and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times and was healed. Now, what point do you think Jesus was making at this point? Well, one, he was to reveal the hardness of their own hearts. In the eye of the beholder, they got him wrong. They were too proud to see of their need that they were in fact spiritually poor. And they were too proud to see that there was there the great prophet amongst them. In fact, so many of the prophets of God in the Old Testament died at the hands of the people of God. Isaiah, he was sawn in two. Jeremiah was stoned to death. Ezekiel, he was executed. Amos, he was clubbed all by their own people. And it was happening that day again in the synagogue. The evil of their hearts were exposed. But more than that, Jesus was showing his mission. It is not just to the people of God, not just to Israel. He was hinting that his mission was to go to the Gentiles as well. The year of the Lord's favour includes Gentiles. And that's why in the Gospel of Luke, later on, we see Jesus teach about the parable of the lost sheep. Remember that? I'll leave the 99 and I'll find the lost sheep. Or the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan, the Gentile, behave in a far more godly way than any in Israel. And we also see that in the book of Acts, which Luke wrote in the ministry of Paul. When he visited a town, where would he go first? He would go to the synagogue, preach there, but they would reject him and he would go to the Gentiles. And so the mission of Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor was to the least, the last, the lowly, the left out, the outcast, the humble, the outsider, even Gentiles. Even Gentiles. And how did they respond? Well, finally they understood. And they did not like it one bit. It's a bit like all hell broke loose. The temperature rising, their blood boiling. Verse 29. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down a cliff. We're meant to be horrified by that verse. Imagine doing that to a guest preacher after one Sunday service. He offended you big time. Let's push him down, let's push him over the train tracks. We're meant to be horrified by the wickedness of their heart. Such wickedness against someone who was gentle and meek, confronting, yes, the homecoming of one of our own, well, let's kill him. 
And if you think about it, not much has changed over the 2,000 years. Not much has changed, especially in the Western nations. We still see it today. Robert Murray McShane, minister of the Church of Scotland in the 1800s, it was true back then. He said this, If the breast of God were within the reach of men, it would be stabbed a million of times in one moment. The way the people behaved that day in the synagogue against the Lord Jesus will do the same today. And he goes on to say, When God was manifest in the flesh, he was altogether lovely. He did no sin. He went about continually doing good. And yet they took him and hung him on a tree. They mocked him and spit upon him. And this is the way men would do with God again. You see, we look at this story and we think, what wicked people. But it has not changed the human heart, what we would do to God. You see, we're meant to be horrified by their reaction. The eye of the beholder got it absolutely wrong. But it's not as though Jesus needed pity. We shouldn't be reading this story and we feel sorry for Jesus. People are out to get him. Oh, poor Jesus, not at all. Look at what happened in our last verse, verse 30, as we saw in the kids' talk as well. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. What a move that was. Straight through the crowd. They could not lay a hand upon him because his time was not yet up. He will choose when he'll lay his life down, but not when they choose. Now, I find that last verse so profound, but also sad. Because as Jesus walked away from his hometown of Nazareth, it may have been the last time many saw him. Jesus never returned to Nazareth in his ministry. And so those there that day, some were amazed, but they rejected their saviour. They missed out on God's favour, and many did not even realise it. Isn't that sad? And so now I want us to consider whether we would make that same mistake today. The eye of the beholder, when that gets Jesus wrong, and Jesus is rejected by his own. Does that still happen today? By his own. I mean, if you consider the world stage and human history, which nations of the world benefited most from the blessings of God, from the preaching of the gospel, from the upholding of scripture, from the person and work of Jesus? Which nations of the world benefited most from the gospel? Now, aren't they the Western nations, ours included? I mean, in our Australian constitution, right at the beginning, there is the line, humbly relying on the blessing of Almighty God. I mean, that was how our nation was founded. But today, which nations of the world are most hostile towards Jesus? Well, it seems that the countries that are most hostile are those countries with a Christian heritage. It seems like this all over again. Jesus not accepted in his hometown. Jesus is without honour in the West. Now, if you think about what happened over the last hundred years, in fact, just over our lifetime, 
so much has changed in terms of Christianity around the world. It has shifted from the West to the global South. It's as though, if you think about it, I mean, just consider the makeup of this church. I think when I first started here about 10 years ago, it was far more Scottish, but look how multicultural it is now. It's as though God has turned his face away from the West and to somewhere else. Europe, once the harbinger of the Christian faith, the place of the Protestant Reformation, where Christianity became the bedrock of society and civilization. But now most of Europe has become a secular society governed by laws of humanism. Countries like France and Sweden are among the highest percentage of people who explicitly deny the existence of God. In Britain, Christianity continues to decline at alarming rates. Churches turned into pubs, abandoned or destroyed. And it is no different here in Australia. Though we have benefited so much from our Christian heritage, we've taken the gift and we've rejected the giver. And over the years, we, uh, we hear this from our elders. We hear this over the years, over the generations in this church even. The gospel was once accepted. It was very quickly assumed. And then people became quite apathetic towards Jesus. And now today, what do we see? Antagonism towards Jesus. But yet in the in this global south, in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America... Christianity is growing. One out of four Christians in the world today are presently in Africa. It's as though we are seeing what was happening that day in the synagogue, again today on a world scale. A prophet without honour in his hometown. Jesus is without honour in the West. And the eye of the beholder has got him so, so wrong. And so we need to remember that as a church, as Christians... We honour Christ. He is honoured here above everyone and everything else. And so I wonder whether we would make that same mistake that day in that synagogue. You see, when it comes to Jesus, it can't be left to the eye of the beholder. Dismiss him and we remain captive, spiritually blind, oppressed, and we miss out on the favour of God. In fact, Do you notice the quote that Jesus quoted from Isaiah 61? He quoted the first two verses, but he stopped midway in the second verse. Do you notice that? Some picked it up between the first and second reading. If you can quickly enough, turn to Isaiah 61, look at verse 2. Verse 2 in Isaiah goes like this. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's where Jesus stopped. But that's only half the sentence. The next bit is, and the day of our God's vengeance. Jesus came, proclaimed the day, the year of the Lord's favour, but the Lord's vengeance will come. The Lord's vengeance will come. But today is the day of salvation. Just as we heard in our testimony, we'll hear again tonight from a, from a brother, Francis, who will share his testimony. Those of us who've been coming to this church for a while, those of us who are parents who think, what do I want for my child? What should be most important? Do not get Jesus wrong and get ourselves right. I am poor, 
I need the good news. I am spiritually and morally bankrupt. There's no way I can be forgiven on my own. There's no way I can get to heaven. There's no way that there is genuine hope outside of Jesus. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. The Messiah has come, who preached good news to the poor just like us and proclaimed the year of the Lord's favour. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that over the many centuries, as you have promised in Isaiah, that the Messiah would come, and he did come in your son, Jesus Christ, who did proclaim good news to people just like us, unworthy of anything good from your hands. But you do bless us, and we experience your favour because of the death and resurrection of your son. And so help us, Lord, to not be like those who behaved in the synagogue, to never dismiss Jesus, but to see him, to honour him, to love him above everyone else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.